When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. Thanks a lot for tuning in. So in Los Angeles, Sutter and Lombardi out. Blake becomes the GM, Robitaille the team president. Willie Desjardins fired by the Vancouver Canucks. Of course, Lindy Ruff uh, out in Dallas as well. The Oilers have called up Jujar Kara. Oscar Clefbaum is the second star of the week. He had seven assists in four games. Go to 630Ched.com to enter an auction to get four loge seats to the Oilers' playoff game on Wednesday against the San Jose Sharks. That auction opened until noon on Wednesday. Nate Kuhorn retiring after six seasons with the Edmonton Eskimos. Made a big catch on that winning drive to get them down to the one-yard line in the 2015 Grey Cup. Canada, the United States, and Mexico putting forward a joint bid. No, not that type of joint. For the 2026 World Cup. Well, just... Jamaica putting forth a joint bid for the 2026 <laughs> World Cup. Jeez, you can get away with anything at nighttime on Chevy. Right, it's 706. <laughs> it's like 14 people listening. It's fine. <laughs> well, my mom's probably listening, so you can add one more. Hello, Mrs. Ulrich. The uh, oh so the way it worked, so that's when they're expanding the World Cup to 48 teams. So there'd be 80 games total, 60 in the United States. Canada and Mexico would get 10 each, but Canada would finally get in the tournament. That's the only way we can get in. <laughs> you know what the world rankings are? I don't Mexico know. 16, United States 23. You know what Canada's ranked in men's soccer? Well, it's in the hundreds. I'll give you a hint. It's 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 a higher number than Brian Hall is years old. 109. <laughs> I thought it was even worse. So if Canada like did get in the world, I mean, this is nine years away, I guess. Maybe we could crack the top 80 by the time we actually host it. I don't know how that's possible. Like, you would think. We used to be, like, we, we used to be in the 80s and it was bad enough. Now yeah. we're 109th. Anyway, another little story to follow there. There might be no other bids. Europe and Asia can't get it because they're hosting the next two, right? So should probably get it. Uh, what else did I want to get to here? Uh, Gushu, obviously, uh, undefeated at Worlds. He rolled through. Did you did you get to see some of the Masters yesterday, Brendan? Oh, I was parked on my coach the entire weekend. Good Saturday stuff. and Sunday. It was you, unbelievable. I didn't, I didn't think Sergio was going to do it. After no. he bogeyed 10 and 11, I thought no way he comes back from that. Well, Rose had a chance to go up by three, and he missed that short birdie putt, and then after that, it opened things up for Sergio a bit. Then he had the eagle. Ah, oh, it was incredible. I had some money on Justin Rose, so I was a little disappointed, but good for Sergio. Gets the gets the green jacket. Yeah, I mean, I don't mind it. I, I, I didn't think he'd be able to do it, but it just, that, and that's the interesting thing about golf. I mean, you get guys sometimes in their late 30s, like Sergio, finally getting uh, a major, and then it changes the whole perception of how mm-hmm. he's looked at, right? Oh, absolutely. Now he looks as the guy, well, he finally got it done. He, oh, yeah, contended in all those majors, he finally got it, right? 
Uh, so no, Rose has uh, he has a U.S. Open and the Olympics and was almost uh, he's a good golfer. Well, I mean they're the all most disappointing thing to me was the fact that you had Spieth and Fowler right with them heading into the well. final round, and both of them, yeah, they went down in the dumps, and it could have been those four going toe to toe down to the wire for the green jacket. As good as it is watching one guy against one guy, I think having Fowler and Spieth in the mix there, that would have been incredible. So that's unfortunate. Did you see Kuchar's ace? Yeah. <laughs> oh, who was it that jarred the one, uh, was it Henley? Yeah, it was Russell He Henley. jarred that one on yeah. the fifth, was it the fifth hole? Yeah, I've never that seen was, like I've, that. I don't know if I've ever seen one go in that clean. Yeah, that was unbelievable. And then the the cup was damaged and they had to get the grounds crew. I'm actually, I wonder if Augusta is mad CBS showed that. You know what I mean? Because they're so the way. I mean, I, I don't know if people know this. Uh, I mean, I'm sure like golf fanatics in the audience do. Two out of the 14 people listening, like they're uh, they don't allow them to say rough. That's why they always mm-hmm. say second cut. They don't say fans or gallery. They say patron, right? Yeah. And it's only been what in the last 10 or 15 years that they show the front nine. Used to be it would just be back nine coverage. So I wonder if they were like, don't show that we actually have workers. Just things happen magically here. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure that CBS probably checked with them before airing that, I would assume, based on some of those rules. There were two members out there in their green jackets. And they showed it for a while. It was like a couple minutes. Oh, yeah, they actually showed (laughs) them how the hole gets cut and then spray painting the inside and all that kind of stuff. Um, We're going to get to Jamie Baker from the San Jose Sharks broadcast booth in a minute here. Brendan, I made you stay late before you go do your hockey draft. Several people texting in, if it's Oilers caps in the cup final, (laughs) where do your allegiances lie? Well, come on. I'm from Edmonton. That's all I really need to say, right? I mean, I've never been alive for the Oilers winning a Stanley Cup. I mean, the 06 Cup run was magical. It was a lot of fun. So I would obviously go with the Oilers as much as I want to see Ovechkin win a Stanley Cup. You've also never been alive for the Capitals winning the Stanley Cup because they've (laughs) never won one. Burn, yeah. See, I cheer for a lot of teams. Why did you adopt the Capitals as some sort of obsession? I just loved Ovechkin when I was playing hockey. I wanted to be like Ovechkin, the way he shot the puck. Are you are you a right shot? No, I shoot left. Left, right. Remember that year he was on the All-Star? Yeah, both that's funny. He was on the All- that was only like two or three years ago. He was on the All-Star team for I both I shot positions. left, but I actually changed to my, to my off wing like Ovechkin, and I changed my number from 14 to 8 as a kid because I wanted to be like Ovechkin. So that's why I love the Caps. Well, it's good to have heroes. Yeah. And it never led to anything for me on the ice, but I can still cheer for him off the ice. But see, another thing, too, I mean, I know people are joking around with you. When we're covering the teams, yeah, it's, it's, different. It's, it's, it's different, right? I mean, do I want the Oilers to win the Stanley Cup? Yes. If that happened, in that moment, my mind would be going a million miles a minute as to how we're going to cover it, what's going to happen on the yeah, post-game exactly. show, who we're going to get to interview, what I'm going to say off the top, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, like, even at the end of the game, it's like we're down by the dressing room. We're not even watching the game live. Like, it's part of the job. I mean, you're doing your job. All right, job. you watch the last five minutes on, on TV. A small on, a, on a screen with uh, Sean May, J.J. Andre, and Tom Gazzola usually, and then Gene rolls in, too. So it's us five hovered around a small TV by the dressing room. See, and that's for I, – I used to do that, too. And so I never saw an overtime goal yeah. in person until this year. Now I stay up top the whole time. I'm pretty spoiled. <laughs> Lucky you. All right. No, but text- I mean, that's what I mean. Like, it's a little different. It's it's the job. But it would still be awesome to see your hometown team win a Stanley Cup. Well, like, and here's be- the thing. As an Edmontonian, as an Edmonton sports reporter, whatever you want to call me, 
if there's an Edmonton team or athlete involved, I want them to win. Yeah. I want J- Jelena Mergenovic to win every boxing match. I want Jen Kish to be part of every rugby championship. I want the U of A teams t- to win. Uh, but you also realize you have to you have to talk about it and discuss it and break down if things go wrong. But yeah, if Oilers Capitals, hopefully you would you would want the Oilers to win. That would be a pretty good Cup final as well, I would think. All right. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a break, then we'll bring in Jamie Baker. It's Inside Sports on 630 Chet. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. All right, Oilers and Sharks coming up on Wednesday night. We'll have it for you on 630 Chet. Jamie Baker covers the Sharks for NBC Sports California. Jamie, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Doing great. Uh, hope you guys are doing good. Looking forward to... An intriguing series with lots of subplots and storylines. It's going to be a fun couple of weeks here coming up. Well, it is interesting. And, you know, about a month ago, it looked like San Jose was uh, maybe cruise is too strong of a word, but they were certainly in control to finish first in the division. And uh, now they've wound up with third and obviously won't have home ice advantage at Edmonton. How do you summarize the last month of the shark season, Jamie? Uh, I summarize it as I look at their schedule in March, 16 games, four four sets of back-to-backs that were all on the road, and I take a short summer last year, uh, condensed schedule because of the World Cup, seven guys that went to the World Cup, and some of them all, you know, a bunch of them are in their 30s, and... The Sharks travel more than any other team in the NHL. And as opposed to analyzing the last month, I look at it as their body of work for the whole year. And I'm like, mission accomplished. They made the playoffs. And that's what they wanted to do. They, you know, they were the third seed last year going in, in the Pacific, uh, heading into the playoffs. I think they would have preferred to maybe have home ice. Uh, but I think the bumps and bruises and fatigue caught up to them a little bit. But... Uh, you know, you don't just look at one the last month because right now it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they did yesterday because it's a new season. So nobody cares. You know, when you when you get to the first game of the regular season, nobody cares what you did the last game of the preseason. It's the same thing. Nobody cares. The bottom line is they have to fly to Edmonton, and they're going to start off in Edmonton. And Edmonton's the favored team, uh, as they should be. They got more points. Um, They've got the best player in the NHL is probably going to win the MVP. Um, they've got, uh, you know, like momentum on their side. They've got an entire city that's been craving the playoffs. So I think the Sharks will embrace this underdog role and uh, let's see how things roll out. Obviously, the injuries were a big story for the Sharks here at the end of the season with Thornton and Couture both uh, suffering different injuries. I know that they they both were saying last week that they, they will be ready for the start of the playoffs. How do you look at, uh, at their availability and health here for Wednesday, Jamie? Day-to-day. Okay. That's, they're, they're both day-to-day. That's all I have to say on that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, who, who's been, and I know the Oilers played them last week, but has there been somebody that, that stepped into the void caused by their absence here late in the season for San Jose? I don't think you can look at one person when, when players of that magnitude go down. I think it's a, it has to be a group effort. Uh, going into the playoffs, uh, the reason the Sharks ultimately went to the Stanley Cup Finals last year is because of the depth. 
you you need that you need your third and fourth lines going. You're going to need your fourth, fifth, and sixth defense um, to, to to play to play well and eat up some key minutes because you know the games get more intense. Key moments in every game matter more. So I, I don't think it's been one guy. I think it's it's collectively, and we'll find out on on Wednesday. Uh, you know what the lineup is in them, but I just know like the mindset of this team is it's going to take everybody to play well to push the series deep and ultimately try and, and beat a very good Oilers team. Jamie Baker joining us tonight on Inside Sports covers the Sharks for NBC Sports California. Of course, this series is going to start Wednesday here in Edmonton at uh, at Rogers Place. Is there anything left from a shark standpoint about? playing Todd McClellan? I mean, it's basically been two full regular seasons. When Todd is asked about it now, he, he says, you know, special time, but um, but it's not, you know, anything more significant than playing anybody else anymore. Do you think for some of the players he coached, there's still something there? Well, Todd's not on the ice, so, I mean, I think right. they know some of the terminology uses, and, you know, systematically some of the ways, you know, that he thinks about, you know, coaches the game. But he's also coaching a different group in Edmonton than he was here in San Jose. You know, you got Connor McDavid. So you're going to, you got arguably the best hockey player in the world. I mean, some people, I know Sidney Crosby is awesome, but the most electrifying player in the, in, in the NHL and in the world is Sidney There's uh, Connor McDavid. So that's going to change. So when you have that type of thing, like, yeah, it's going to change. Uh, some of the things that you do as a team and uh, changes the power play, that's for sure. It changes some of the matchups. So I think the, the, the players are focused on on the different matchups, uh, not just Connor McDavid. It's it's going to take, yes, they're going to obviously try and key on him and neutralize him as much as they can, but it's it's going to be 18 skaters and a goalie against 18 skaters and, and a goalie every night, and that's what the focus will be for the players. It's not about the coaches. You know, uh, Martin Jones has had a good year in net, and maybe some similarities to uh, to Cam Talbot in terms of you know they had kind of had to change teams to get a shot. I know maybe their obviously their draft pedigree and, and uh, you know experience. Uh, one guy was junior, one guy was was a college goaltender, but. You know, Jones says you, you don't have a lot of good teams without a good goaltender. Just give me how Jones has sort of blossomed here over the last couple of years for the Sharks. Well, it was a great, great pickup, a great trade by Doug Wilson. Um, you know, and ultimately it's, it was Milan Lucic was the key piece in all this, right? Because Dean Lombardi wanted Lucic, so he went and got him and he gave up Jones. There's no way that Dean Lombardi was trading Martin Jones to the Sharks or anybody else in the Pacific Division or probably the Western Conference for that matter. Um, and as soon as he got traded to Boston, you know, they already had two Rath. Boston traded him here to, to San Jose, so a great pickup. You know, a lot like Talbot, he, he's got good agility, uh, you know, really fronts the shooter very well, takes away the bottom part of the net, but I think it's the mental aspect of the game, that the calmness that they can they can bring and the game management, you know, and you got a goalie that's just confident and poised. It, it kind of reverberates through the whole lineup when there is stressful moments and the, the pressure heightens in the third period or overtime of games. And you look back and your goalie's not backing in. He's not bobbling pucks and stuff like that. He's just, he's just calm as, as he was as if he was in practice or it was an exhibition game or something, you know, like there he is. 
that's that's a good it's a real good sense as a player and i think both jones and talbot bring that but that's one of the key pieces i thought why i thought i really saw it last year in the first round against la like as as well as jones played last year in the you know throughout the playoffs and in the regular season that the series that jumps out at me was his play in the first round because if you want pressure i mean that had everything he was playing against his old team who he knows so well he was playing against Jonathan Quick, who he used to back up. He knows how good Quick is. The previous time that the Sharks and Kings had played, it was the reverse sweep. He was part of the Kings at that time. They ended up to go on and win the Stanley Cup. So, you know, when you take all of it and the way he played and settled the team down at key junctures, you know, especially in games four and five, um, you know, I think it was, I think the guys fed off of it and they really, like, took it to a whole nother level and it's one of the reasons they went on to to the Stanley Cup finals against Pittsburgh last year yeah for sure all right Jamie before I let you go just a uh, quick trip down memory lane you were a player with the Sharks going into the 94 and 95 playoffs you pulled off a first round upset in uh in both years uh what stands out most when you when you look back on on how you guys were able to uh, upend a higher seed two years in a row you know, we went in believing, uh, in particular when we were playing Detroit, because we were the eight seed, they were the number one seed. We'd been fighting for our playoff lives all year. We started that year 08-2. So just the fact that we made the playoffs was amazing. And they were so talented. They'd blown out a lot of teams, had been in a lot of games that weren't that close. We just said, keep every game. if we can keep every game close going into the third period, we thought we would have the advantage because we were we were in our comfort zone and they wouldn't be and lo and behold like i think the three games that they beat us you know like they blew us out twice and the other one was by two or three goals like two of them were just total bluff the four games we beat them were all close one goal games so we gave ourselves a chance and it was a collective effort as a team i mean you can get all the cliches we didn't want it more <laughs> there's no like nobody wants it more like everybody on the sharks wants it everybody on the oilers wants it everybody back then wanted it it's ultimately uh executing and in particular executing and winning the key moments if you you whatever those key moments are you know they're, they're going to vary sometimes a key moment is from a momentum could be in the first period, a key moment could be in overtime. But there are going to be key moments of every game, and there's so much – and this this goes for all the series. I mean, you know, the, there's so much parity in the NHL. If, if you can't take hold and, and win the key moments, you're probably not going to win the series. So that's going to be – that was that's what we did in those, in those upsets, and uh, that's what the Sharks are going to look to do in this series against the others. Jamie, it's always great to talk to you. I look forward to uh, seeing you at the rink on Wednesday, man. Thank you so much for your time. Yep, exciting times. Take care. We'll see you. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. All right, thanks for tuning in tonight. Really appreciate whenever someone will uh, text 630-630. Don't read all the texts on air, but I do read them silently to myself at the very least. Apparently the uh, Jamie Baker interview, people don't like Jamie Baker. (laughs) A couple textures used the exact same D word to describe him during the course of that interview. Uh, Jamie Baker, what was so bad about Jamie Baker? Did you find Jamie Baker unpleasant, Warren Mulvey? I didn't. I thought he was excellent. (laughs) 
<sighs> this texture set, I can read this one, I think. It doesn't have any words I can't use. This turd sounds like a cocky SOB who is making an excuse for the shark's downfall. Come on, sharks have been shredded at the end due to teams being better. End of story. We shall see. Don't mind the matchup for the Oilers. They're playing well. This texture says, uh, Jimmy Baker was funny to listen to. He was also answering questions that you weren't asking. Mike says, the playoffs have started. That guy didn't want to say too much. LOL. That's for Mike. Well, I didn't expect him to say much about the injuries. I thought he might give a little more details than just saying they're day-to-day, which we kind of knew, but fair enough. Uh, here's <laughs> This texture says, could Yakupov help the Canucks? Yes, if the Canucks join the KHL next season, then maybe Yakupov can play for them. You okay, buddy? You, you're, you're tittering at the Yakupov comment. Yakupov? <laughs> hey, St. Louis did well down the stretch there. It's going to be an interesting series against the uh, Minnesota Wild. I see the uh, ESPN hockey experts have uh, made their predictions. Let's see, we got how many? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. We got eight of them picking the Oilers, four of them picking the Sharks in the first round. I think I'm doing playoff predictions on Oilers now tomorrow between 1.30 and 2. Generally, I am a poor predictor. Which is fine, I can live with that. Go to 630Ched.com. You can enter an auction for four low seats to the Oilers' playoff opener against the Sharks on Wednesday night. Bidding goes until noon on Wednesday, and of course we'll have the game for you right here on 6.30, Chad. 6 o'clock for the face-off show. The game will start at 8. We'll have uh, extended pregame coverage of all Oilers' playoff games right here on 6.30, Chad. Going to be fun. Looking forward to it. Rogers Place, great new building, team into the postseason. Scott C. Bourgeois, who works in the um, newsroom here at 630 Ched, and you may know now as the uh, public address announcer at Edmonton Oilers Games, went back into the EA Sports Archives, also known as their website, and sent me the uh, preseason predictions as played out by the video game NHL 17 which had the Oilers finishing third in the Pacific Division with 85 points and defeating the second-place L.A. Kings in the first round and then losing to San Jose in the second round. The NHL 17 Stanley Cup Final had Nashville defeating Montreal. EA Sports did predict, uh, correctly predict that Connor McDavid would win the Art Ross Trophy. They also have him winning the Hart Trophy, which I think he will win. Ryan is already making a prediction that Connor McDavid will get 110 points next season. Boy, people are thinking ahead. One game at a time, everybody. Focus on Wednesday. Uh, this texture says, uh, what are your thoughts on what happened in L.A.? Well, I think it was inevitable, given the team making missing the playoffs two of the last three seasons. Lombardi and Sutter fired. I think they're both good hockey guys. This person says, pardon my ignorance, but what is a loge? Is it not lounge? No, it is loge seating. How do we describe them, uh, Warren? If, you, if, you've, if you've been in Rogers Place, they're, it's, you're basically, you basically sit at a table and watch the Oilers game, right? So they're ha- kind of halfway up between the first and second deck. 
and I'm pretty sure you get service in your seats there, don't you, as well? So you get, you kind of get, it's like a semi-circle table for four. You sit at and watch the game. Oh, okay. I was it's actually going to ask you what suite. it is. Yeah, they're called loge, loge seating. So it's not a full-on suite, um, but it's not exactly like a, a a seat in the regular crowd. That's what that is. Uh, another person says, uh, Jamie Baker is a blank. Starts with a D. All right. Will the Leafs win a playoff game this round? Another text to 636-30. I think they're going to win one. Brad says, uh, Hi, Reed. What is your take on Len Rhodes firing Ed Hervey? It seems to me like a mediocre senior executive firing a rising junior executive and couldn't stand to see Hervey paid more than him. That is from Brad. Well, we did an hour and a half on Hervey on Friday. Uh, look, there was a huge clash there between the two men. And Len Rhodes ultimately had a higher-ranking position in the organization and decided that he couldn't have the uh, tension that existed between he and Hervey. I think it's really unfortunate. I think it's bad timing. I think it makes the organization look kind of muddled as we head into a new season. I, I don't think it's going to affect the players. Uh, I think Ed did a pretty good job. And, you know, you got to remember, too, Len Rhodes has now fired two general managers. Now I think Eric Tillman had to go. I wish it could have worked out with Ed. 741 Inside Sports on 630 Chet. We will meet the guy behind a very popular website, HockeyFights.com, when we get back. This is Oscar Clefbaum from your Edmonton Oiler, and you're listening to the Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. The scoreboard on Inside Sports presented by Crystal Glass. For all your glass needs, call 310-GLASS today. Obviously, no NHL games tonight. Blue Jays back at it tomorrow. They're 1-5, worst start in franchise history. Hockeyfights.com, pretty popular website. The man behind it is David Singer. David, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Great. Thanks for having me today, Reed. Yeah, it's great to talk to you, man. How are you? How, how's your excitement level for the playoffs coming up here? Uh, I'm I'm pretty stoked about them. Uh, you know, I'm a New Yorker, so we're not used to only having one team in there, whether it be the uh, the Rangers, Islanders, or Devils. And I think we had some higher expectation for the Islanders this year, but uh, you know, I'll just be watching all the national games and seeing Canada as a whole make its big turnaround. How much uh, How much McDavid have you been able to watch this season? And the Oilers, hot finish. They won 12 of their last 14. Uh, I've been pretty lucky. Um, you know, I have a strong connection to the, the Oilers Nation boys, so that that sort of makes me t- turn uh, tune in a little bit more. And uh, one of my couple of my great friends are also up in Edmonton, so it's been fun to watch that team, especially this year. So I got to see a lot of McDavid last year, but this year, the addition uh, of some of his teammates, uh, maybe I was already a fan of before they got there, like Pat Maroon and uh, Milan Lucic. So it's been great to see that team make a few adjustments and uh, succeed. I'm curious about your take on the Rangers because they were pretty much slotted into that wild card spot for the last portion of the season. But uh, a really good team. I mean, I think they're going to beat the Montreal Canadiens. I don't know how you look at their chances here in the postseason. 
you know, they, they had such a strong start that I think anything they did after that seemed like a bit of a letdown. So I'm not sure what they're really going to bring because the, the Canadians really changed their game by the end of the year. And uh, between the coaching changes and, and uh, the player changes. So I think they might be one of the tougher matchups for the Rangers in the Eastern Conference because the Rangers really weren't playing uh, a very physical game all year. And they tried to make their own adjustments by the end of the year, especially when they stopped winning what seemed like every game in the first quarter. Uh, but, you know, it, it's that's why the players are so great. You know, I, you, it's a fresh start for everybody. And everybody's going to have a plan, and you know, until they – so they get punched in the face, I guess. So we'll we'll see what happens. Whoever makes that first strike. Well, speaking of punching in the face, you you came up with the perfect segue there because uh, <laughs> uh, hockey fights, hockeyfights dot com is what we wanted to talk to you about. It's become a I I use it as a resource for sure to check into guys' past histories and you know to see uh, how often they fought either this season or in the past. Take me back to the beginning. First of all, how did how did hockey fights get rolling? It was a bit of a curiosity for me. So I've been a lifelong hockey fan, uh, always a fan of the tough guys, partially because of the fights themselves and partially because when I went to any sort of fan event, especially as a kid, uh, they always wound up being the nicest guys to me. So I wound up being a big fan of whoever the tough guys were, usually in the, the New York area. And even... Growing up as an Islander fan, if you you met somebody from the Rangers and and he's really nice to you, you you know you you wind up getting a soft spot for for them. And so I had a soft spot for the tough guys. And then you know, I'm I'm loving the fights and everybody starts arguing who fought who, how many times. And uh, I wind up going to school up in Buffalo. Wind up going and actually becoming a bit of a a beat reporter for the Sabres, and I'm even hearing the guys in the dressing room saying the same exact thing. You know, oh yeah, I think they fought a couple of times uh, a few years ago, and nobody really knew for sure. So I went ahead and I built a, a database, simply of who fought who, and that's how it started way back in 99. Wow, and, okay. <laughs> uh, a, yeah, and, and a great community sprung up around it, and then uh, web video became a thing, and uh, people made requests, can we vote on it, and you know, I did this for myself, for some friends, and really just wanting to know what was going on. And next thing I know, it's um, a statistical resource for the media. Uh, players who I've become friendly with are telling me they're using it as a, a bit of a study guide before some games that they're going into. Uh, is this guy a lefty or righty? Nobody gets caught off guard anymore by the kid coming up from the A uh, like they used to. They didn't know anything. They just heard. And now they get to go and, and, and check him out. And of course, those guys who do that much studying uh, probably aren't playing as much anymore, but uh, you know, I still get to hear those stories, and it's still a lot of fun. David Singer joining us. He's from HockeyFights.com, Inside Sports on 630. Chad, is it... I, I mean, I know it now in the, in the web age, there's, every game is, is you know, available video some way or another, but is it ever tough to find video for, of, of a fight? Because you get them up pretty quickly sometimes. <laughs> uh, you know, I've had pretty good access for a long time. And uh, I just I had to learn how to make it available to me when I wanted to first start doing it. And 
I figured it out about like right before the lockout of 0304 is when a few technological things sort of broke through and were um, available to consumers for me to start saying, okay, I'm going to be able to grab every single game now. Uh, so it was a little before things were available on the web and um, my curiosity again uh, shifted. Well, it didn't shift. I still loved uh, the guys in the, and who are, who are fighting and, and hockey is a, as a game in itself. Uh, but, you know, I also love the technical aspect of what I was doing. So um, everything was a, a bit of a learning curve, and that was the, the fun part of the challenge of doing it. But I've never had too much trouble bef- until, unless it was before then, in the age of, um, you know, uh, recording on either DVD or VHS and having have people send it to me. So that's what we used to do. Uh, people would send me their local teams or, uh, and at one point it was by mail, um, somewhere in between, they were figuring out how to upload it themselves and send it to me to edit. So it's been a, a long, strange road and, uh, things are easier now than ever. I mean, you, you see how many people are making what seems like a clip of every single moment of the game and the, everything gets dissected now, uh, from, you know, a, the a shot block to a, a minutia, a little tiny little bump in the corner to, um, you know, looking at a goal from 20 different angles. So it, it's very different than when I first started. Do you do anywhere on your site, or maybe you will know this off the top of your head, because I'm curious when it pertains to Patrick Maroon, is he the NHL leader in goals plus fights? Because he had 27 goals and nine fights for 36. <laughs> off the top of my head, I can't think of anybody who would top that. Uh, you know what? Off the top of my head, I would agree with you because it's a pretty good pretty good bet to take. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't think of anything uh, or anyone who would top him because the leaders, if they're not uh, guys still clinging on to the tough guy image, then sometimes they wind up being defensemen. Right. So I can't think of anybody, you know, on that that top 25 leader list who would even have close to the number of goals that uh, Maroon had last year. Who do you think's the best fighter in the NHL right now? Oh, that's a hard one. It's actually that one's harder than it was five, six years ago when you got to at least rattle off two or three of the top enforcers, and people would argue it out, but. You know, right now, I you, you've got hidden tough guys uh, like Wayne Simmons and uh, and Ryan Reeves and some other guys who you know they Ryan Reeves wears in a, a label of, of enforcer, but you know Wayne Simmons really doesn't. He he's more of a, a power forward in the way that Jerome McGinley was and still uh, plays. So I, I think he's one of the top fighters, like pure fighters out there. I do think some of the guys on top of the leader list, like Jared Bull and Cody McLeod and Matt Martin, are all pretty solid, tough guys. Um, but, you know, we're a few years away from uh, the George LaRocks to the, you know, the Brian McGrattans of the world of just a, a few years ago. And they would have been pretty easy to name. I just I just did the math. So Simmons and Maroon tied with 36 combined goals and fights. So there you go. I can't I can't see anybody topping those two this season. David Singer joining us from HockeyFights.com. Uh, just why do you think? I mean, you explained why you started the site. 
Why do you think the site and just fighting in general continues to connect with fans? Because, you know, there, there is less fighting than there used to be, um, but it does remain part of the game. I mean, there are a vocal portion of hockey fans and I, and I you know I still think that they a lot of times people say well if you don't like fighting you're not a hockey fan I don't think it's that black and white there there is a vocal portion of hockey fans who say you know maybe fighting shouldn't be in the game why do you think it though continues to connect with so many fans uh well I guess it's two separate views on that and I'll, I'll address the fan part of it instead of just the part of the game part of it and with the fans I think it's part of the reason why I love the game or wound up loving, you know, seeing some of the fights and meeting the guys. I think those players, um, they're blue-collar blue players. Uh, they're genuinely very down-to-earth. Uh, people see them, I think, a little more as a reflection of themselves than the superstars. We all know we can't do what they do. And listen, I can't do what the enforcers do, and most people in that arena can't either. But when they see somebody out there giving everything they've got, you know, doing anything it takes for the team, I think that's where the connection's made. And I think that plus the adrenaline rush of just seeing the fight and having something spark up, there's a tension in the arena. Uh, I think that's why people still connect to it and still love it. Uh, I just think it's you know, partially raw energy and partially just the mentality it takes and our, what feels like a personal connection to it, even if there's not. Thanks for that, David. David Singer from the excellent website, hockeyfights.com. My name is Reed Wilkins. Oilers back at practice tomorrow at 11. Stoffer will have the latest on Oilers now, noon to two. Thanks for listening to Inside Sports. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at six on 630 Chad.